My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me, and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. Hi, I'm John Hemminghouse, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, the ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. We sincerely hope that you enjoyed a meaningful and blessed Thanksgiving. Though our pastor didn't plan it this way, our message for today fits well with the subject of being thankful. For several months now, we've been walking behind Christ, watching what he's doing as recorded in the gospel accounts in the Bible. Today, as we follow Jesus once more, we come to an incident in which Christ heals 10 men afflicted with a humanly incurable disease of leprosy. Pastor Jones will explain how devastating leprosy was to the person who contracted it in Jesus' day, but it's hard for us to imagine how wonderful it would have been for each of these 10 men to quite literally get their lives back after Jesus healed them. However, it may surprise you to know that very few expressed thankfulness to Christ for what he had done for them. I think you can already tell that this incident will have great application to our lives today, so I hope you'll listen and consider the message on the day when Jesus healed the 10 lepers. Good morning. This is Pastor Lane Jones speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast. Hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving holiday just a couple days back. Man, I didn't plan it this way. But we've come to an event in the life of Christ as we've been walking behind him for the last several months and watching what he does, that we've come to this event where Jesus is dealing with ten lepers and um, heals them all, and yet only one seems to come back and tell them thank you. And so it's really appropriate, I think, in the light of where we're at right now after just uh, finishing with Thanksgiving. You know, we have a normal figure of speech, at least when I was uh, young, we would say this, something like this, they treated me like I was a leper. Uh, normally that's an exaggeration, but it reflects a reality that was often practiced in Jesus' day and many other cultures around the world as well with this dreaded disease called leprosy. The problem with leprosy is it had no cure in the ancient world and was highly contagious and had devastating effects upon the person who contracted it. So what typically happened once the disease took hold was that ugly sores would break out on the victim's skin. While those sores were open, people who touched a leper's wound or anything that had been in direct contact with that infected wound risked getting the infection themselves. Further, as the leprosy continued to progress, the nerves in an infected area would often die, and this in turn left the leper unable to detect when he or she was doing damage to that area of the body. So you could literally burn your hand and not feel it. Thus, though, uh, either injury to areas uh, the, where the nerves were deadened, or actually you could have direct uh, progress of the disease. People's extremities like fingers, whole hands, or even noses would become damaged and eaten away. And for this reason, lepers were often isolated from the public, had to live by themselves or in leper colonies. Just imagine for a second all the things you could not do if you were diagnosed as a leper in Jesus' day. You couldn't go to the market for any reason. You couldn't attend a social event or a family gathering. Even if your daughter was getting married, you couldn't go. Couldn't hold almost any job. Construction, no way. You couldn't be around people. Couldn't contaminate the building. Accounting, nope. You could contaminate your papers. Be a lawyer, no. You couldn't even appear in court. Couldn't be a rabbi or a religious teacher. Could not attend synagogue. You're starting to get the picture. If you're school age, you could not attend school. You can't be around your family. You could not hug your kids. If unmarried, uh, you're almost no way you're ever going to get a wife or a husband. And if you are married, uh, while you're infected, 
you cannot live in your own home. How awful this disease was. And so Jesus encounters ten men who all, again, hanging together because they probably have no one else that they can be around. And these ten men all have this awful disease called leprosy. And they ask Jesus for help. Uh, before we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We ask for your wisdom as we look into your word this morning. We praise you for this opportunity and pray that you'll help folks to listen and to hear the message behind this event in the life of our Savior. We pray your blessings upon our time together and upon each person that's listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we can receive blessings from God and never say thank you. I don't know about you, but my parents were big on that. Uh, you know, they'd, they'd say, well, what do, what do you need to say? And, of course, after a while, that, that doesn't cut it either. They expect and that it becomes a habit in your life to say thank you, and it's a very good habit. We obviously tried to teach our kids the same thing. But sometimes, folks, we can take blessings from God and never even think to say thank you. Matter of fact, I think that happens quite regularly uh, for just about all of us. Well, let's look at this account. I'm reading in Luke chapter 17, and I'm starting at verse 11. It says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And we notice, first of all, is that Jesus is near. This is a wonderful opportunity to get Jesus' help. Jesus had a special mission. He was headed actually to Jerusalem, uh, and why he's going there is to die. He's going there to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Now, uh, Christ at that time only has a, a limited amount of life left. And so, Jesus is passing through an area that's near the lepers, but that's really not his focus. Again, he's headed toward Jerusalem to die on the cross for our sins. And yet, this is an opportunity for these ten men to, to make a huge change in their lives. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And you know, we don't always have great opportunities to seek the Lord any more than these men did, but they had this one. And they decided the best they could they wanted to seize this opportunity. Now, the lepers have another problem. Even though Jesus is near to them, they don't feel they can get that close. And again, that comes back to their disease and the fact that they are not allowed to get close to people. And so, what do you do? Jesus is near. Um, even though he's really not f focused in on uh, their need necessarily, he's got a bigger one, a bigger responsibility, and that is to go to the cross to die for our sins. But at the same time, they need help on their situation. They can't get too close. So what do they do? That brings us to verse 13, when we see their cry for help. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Boy, if you were one of those lepers, would you not be yelling and maybe jumping up and down, trying to get his attention? Again, they can't get too close, but I can just sense in those in that verse the, the zeal of these men's cry for help. And what, what are they asking Jesus to do? Well, first of all, they recognize his identity because they call him Jesus Master. They, they're believing that he is able, uh, powerful enough, to heal them of an incurable disease of leprosy. Well, where'd they get that idea from? Evidently, they'd heard accounts elsewhere of Jesus' great ability to heal people. And so 
they're they're I, I, if I was one of them, I'd be yelling to the top of my lungs, asking Christ, begging Christ to help them. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, have mercy on us. And the idea of having mercy carries the idea of, of take pity on us. These men who had lost their ability to function in society and even among their own families uh, are now begging Jesus. They're really their only hope of getting rid of this disease, begging him to help them. Even though, again, he's got a bigger mission. They don't know about it right now, but he does. He's got a more important thing to do, and that is to go to the cross to pay for our sins so that we might go to heaven eternally. So there, these men cry for help. You know, it's it's interesting because sometimes we are in, in the same boat that these guys are in, and that is we don't necessarily see the eternal picture, uh, what God is doing and really what we need to do with our lives, but we see this temporary thing. We see the issue that's right in front of us, and for these men, it was the ability to be able to ever go back to uh, their families and friends and society and, and, and to have a normal life. That's what they're crying out uh, for the Lord to help them with. And what's Jesus' response to these needy men? Verse 14 tells us, So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. That's an interesting response. Now, just quickly, you notice that Jesus sees these guys. They yelled and they, they succeeded. They got his attention. He saw them. And can I say, um, whoever you are, listener, this morning, that God sees you too. And he sees your circumstances. He knows what's going on in your life. You're not, you, know, you don't need to inform him as to what's going on in your life. He sees it. And I will tell you this too. He does care. If you'll turn to him and ask for his help like these lepers did, you'd be surprised the things that God would do for you and try to help you. So he sees them. He also spoke to them. He doesn't just ignore them and say, you know, hey, listen, Peter, you go over and tell him I've got bigger uh, things to do. He doesn't do that. He spoke to them. And then he works to deliver them. And in what way is Christ going to deliver them? Well, he doesn't go over and touch them, and, and, and uh, as he did with other lepers, by the way. Uh, there's accounts of him going in and actually touching a leper, which would have been forbidden, but he cleansed them when he touched them. Uh, but that's not what he does here. Instead, he, he tells them just one simple uh, command, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, um, why does he do that? Why does he tell them to... Uh, to go to the to the priest. Well, there's a law in in Exodus chapter, uh, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. These two chapters um, have regulations about this dreaded disease of leprosy, and, and they would have not necessarily been able to distinguish in that day between what we might call today leprosy and other skin diseases. So they kind of had to to have an overall approach to these type of possibly infectious skin diseases. Leviticus 13 contained laws about how to identify leprosy and the quarantines that were commanded when one was diagnosed with that awful disease. So the priest was to be the governmental official who would make the determination as to whether someone had leprosy. And then the next step in uh, the person in question had to take, uh, for instance, it would not always uh, be immediately apparent whether a person had leprosy or not, or what would be considered leprosy. So at times, the person under scrutiny would be kept in quarantine for a week or so and then re-examined. So Leviticus chapter 13 deals extensively with those regulations. Then in chapter 14, uh, 
It contains God's laws about what to do when a person's leprosy went into remission. So that could happen. There, there were examinations to be passed. They had to make sacrifices and, and, and final stages of ending the quarantine to be able to return to one's home and family, at least on a temporary basis. So you could have leprosy and kind of go through different cycles of, well, you're contagious, you're not contagious. And thus, on one hand, it would be necessary for the 10 lepers to see the priest to be able to return to society. But, and that's really what Jesus is saying to them to do. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. He's commanding them to go and, um, and, and, and show uh, their, 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 their bodies where the infection was to the priest. Now, that brings us to some choices that these lepers are going to make. So let's stop um, from the narrative for just a second. And take the situation from the angle of the of the lepers themselves. Uh, first of all, we, we see some choices that they're making. They're making this choice to zealously seek Christ's help. So I have a couple questions that are running through my mind when I think about this passage. Uh, first of all, how did they recognize Jesus? Had some of them been able to see him before? Now again, had some of them had a time of remission when maybe they were in a crowd? Or had they seen him afar off? Um, maybe, maybe someone told them that Jesus was in the area, and so they were looking for him and and recognized that he's got these disciples and other people following him. Was that it? We don't really know how they recognized Jesus, but I, I find it interesting to think about. I also uh, wonder: uh, were they seeking Jesus? Had someone told them, "Hey, Jesus is in in this area," and then had they? Men going around and then looked for the crowd and actually saw Jesus. My guess would be that's maybe what happened. That they got word that Jesus was in the area and they went out looking for him and then they found uh, they found him and, and again, not necessarily, they couldn't get close, but they could yell and try to get his attention. So they're, they're zealously seeking Christ's help. You also see another choice they're making, and that is to respectfully appear to Christ's compassion. They're calling him master. They're asking him to take pity. But then they've got this third choice, and that is, will we do what Jesus asked us to do? Because you could take it a couple different ways. Right, let, me, let me explain what I'm talking about. Is Jesus insulting them? by saying, go show yourselves to the priest. I mean, you don't do that unless you're cleansed. They're obviously not cleansed. That's why they can't get around anybody. So is this kind of an insult? Are they going to take it that way, that, oh, Jesus is not really going to help us. He's just asking us to go show ourselves to the priest. We can't do that. We're not healed. Or will they take this as a step of faith? Is it a cruel joke by our Lord, or is it really a command that will test their faith? And they uh, the ten of them decided that they were going to obey this. This was their chance. And wisely, they, they chose to obey Christ by faith. They, they're not able to go show themselves to the priest as clean until they are clean. But what they found as they obeyed the Lord, that God then worked miraculously in their lives. So I'm in the middle of verse 14, and it says, So it was that as they went, they were cleansed. So as they, by faith, they, they're not clean yet, as they turn and start headed, start heading toward 
the place where they would find a priest who could examine them and make them legally able to return to society, as they're moving that direction, all of a sudden the leprosy spots start to fade away to the place where they are completely clean. And now they're able to go and begin the process of getting out of the quarantine and returning to society because they really have been cleansed of their leprosy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine running? Um, and and I, I'll tell you what, I think I'd pick up speed if all of a sudden I'm seeing that my, my wounds and, and these terrible sores begin to vanish as I take those steps of obedience. What a lesson this is, there are times just to obey what God says. It may not make a lot of sense because, again, why am I going to the priest to show myself if I'm, if I'm afflicted with this disease? But doing the thing that Christ asked them to do actually results in their cleansing. So the results of their obedience were just as simple as the fact, the simple statement in the scripture, so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. That brings us to the one person that's unique of the of the ten lepers. The single expression of thankfulness. Um, verse 15 says, and one of them when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God. Now you can just imagine, this guy's been running like the other ten. They're all excitedly looking at each other and pointing and saying, we're being healed. As we're going to the priest, we're being healed. Can you imagine the excitement these men would have felt? But one of them just can't take it any longer, the blessing he's receiving from God. He stops, he says with a loud voice, he glorifies God. So you can just imagine him saying, praise God. Praise God for this happening, for my cleansing. And with a loud voice, he glorifies God. And then it says, and he, and, and he fell down and uh, on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. So he returns. He turns around from running like the other guys are, excitedly toward the priest. And he turns around. He, he's got to go back. And he found Jesus again. And here he, he, he goes up to him and prays God. He falls down at his feet and, and thanks Jesus from the depths of his being. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this cleansing. And, the, and there's a little statement added at the end of the verse uh, 16. And he was a Samaritan. So you notice that nine of the ten uh, lepers did exactly what Jesus told them to do, by the way, didn't they? They they found Jesus' power as they started down the road of obedience. And I just can't imagine their joy. Can you? They hurried to show themselves clean before the priest and to start the process of being accepted back into society. But one of the lepers had just had to express his gratitude. So he turns around. Though, by the way, Jesus did not tell him to do this. And I might have been tempted, if I was one of the ten lepers, I might have been tempted, well, boy, I don't know if I want to turn around because I've been healed by running toward the priest. What if I reverse that? Would, would my cleansing be gone? So I, I don't know. I, um, I, I pray I would have been what, done what this guy did. But he turns around. He glorifies God with a loud voice. He finds Jesus again. He falls down at Jesus' feet, and from the depths of his being, he thanks Jesus for healing him. Now, the one leper that came back, as I mentioned, as it says here in verse at the end of verse 16, is a Samaritan. Now, what's so significant about that? 
Well, there was a huge racial uh, issue between the Jewish people in Israel and their Samaritan neighbors. Neither group liked the other, and often hostilities broke out between the two groups. The problem started way back, almost a thousand years before Jesus uh, was born, under King Solomon, uh, who was known as the wisest king who ever lived. Solomon was wise, yes, but he also um, had a weakness, of, a major weakness in his life, uh, in his passion and lust for um, women. And so, as many of you know, Solomon uh, built a harem of literally a thousand either wives or concubines. I think he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And one excuse would have been he's making these uh, alliances with many nations. He's a man of peace. And one of the ways to do that is you marry one of the daughters of the of the king that you're making the peace treaty with. And so it's kind of hard to go after your brother-in-law. That's kind of the theory. So, but Solomon used that. But it it was um, he was just a, a mess morally when it came to women. And the Bible tells us that late in Solomon's reign, that his Pagan wives, for many of them were unbelievers, they were idol worshipers, they turned away his heart um, toward idolatry. And so Solomon not only allowed his wives to worship their pagan gods against God's commandments, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, you'll not make any graven image, the first of the two, the first two of the Ten Commandments. Um, but not only did Solomon do that, but but um, it really led the nation itself down the road toward idolatry. And because of Solomon's great sins of idolatry, God uh, said through the prophets that he was going to split the kingdom after Solomon's death. And so that's exactly what happened. When Solomon's son comes to the throne, his name was Rehoboam, uh, Rehoboam did uh, one, one of the things that down through the ages can get you in trouble with the common people of the era, and that is trying to be the Mr. Tough Guy and raising taxes. And so uh, Rehoboam bragged that he was going to be far tougher than his father had ever been, and he, he's going to up the taxes and make it harder on people. And as a result, uh, many of the common people said, well, why are we following this guy? Why, why do we have to recognize him as our king? And so they, they, uh, the, the nation split north and south like we almost did um, um, almost 200 years ago. Now it's getting, it's getting about 160 years ago. And so that's what happened. Uh, they split north and south, and the two sides never came back together. Now, the northern kingdom, uh, which would be called Israel, the southern kingdom would be called Judah. The northern kingdom uh, got into idolatry immediately. The king, uh, Jeroboam, was his name. He didn't want the people going down and worshiping at the temple, which was in the south. It's in the southern kingdom. And because of that, he formed his own idolatrous system. And so the northern kingdom went into idolatry really from its inception. And then it's about 970 um, um, AD, uh, excuse me, 930 AD, uh, but BC, before Christ. And so they, they uh, go into idolatry, and about um, a little less than 200 years later, in about 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire came in and, and destroyed the northern kingdom. 
carted off many of the people to other nations from where they never returned. The Assyrians also moved in other conquered peoples into the northern kingdom um, to uh, permanently settle there. And as a result, the Jews that were left in the north intermarried with the foreigners who were brought into their land, which was a, a real uh, no-no for the uh, uh, for the Jewish people. They were not to marry pagans. And uh, yet they did. So, of course, they were already um, pagans in, in, a, in a sense, worshiping false gods. And so uh, this group of people now that are part uh, Jewish in their background and part Jewish in their, in their religion, although it was twisted, and they married these, these uh, outright pagans. And that new group, that new people group, becomes known as the Samaritans. And the Jews of the southern kingdom viewed the Samaritans as not truly Jewish, as compromisers in both religion and morality. And the Samaritans, uh, in turn, despised the Jews as proud and wicked religious hypocrites. And you can see these attitudes between the two groups formed a powder cake uh, of problems that just often exploded even more into strife and hatred and violence between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Of course, um, thankfully, both camps ha had their exceptions that um, uh, that were people were not, who were not proud and, and were not going to just hang on to these uh, prejudices. But it seemed to be uh, they would get overwhelmed by the many who who, who kind of bore these hatreds uh, toward the other group of people. It's interesting that Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, uh, in which we find this account, he himself was a Greek, and uh, he often points out exceptions to the rule that all the Gentiles were wicked pagans or all the Samaritans were evil. Uh, Luke is the gospel that records the um, uh, account of Jesus giving the parable of the good Samaritan. You've heard that. And of course, that Samaritan man is found in Luke chapter 10, by the way, verses 25 to 37. If you want to read it on your own, that account is when uh, a man who's a Jewish man is is beaten and robbed and left for dead, and three men come past him in his um, in his affliction there, dying really on the road. One a priest, another a Levite. These are both Jewish men, and Jesus again is Jewish. He's telling them about this priest and the Levite. They both come by. They may they glance at the guy or even go over and look at him, but they will not help him. They just move on. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. But the Samaritan comes, the man who you'd think would have no reason to help this Jewish man because of the enmity between these two groups. The Samaritan stops and helps him and relieves him. That, that parable is even more powerful when you consider what Jesus is doing. He is, he's actually using a hated people group as an example, a man from that hated people group of the Samaritans as an example of doing good to your neighbor. Isn't that interesting? By the way, the Gospel of John also records in chapter 4, Jesus going to a Samaritan village, talking to a Samaritan woman, which again would, would be not, not just highly unusual, be unthinkable in that society, and telling her he's the Messiah, and not only saving her soul, but she goes back to the village, tells the, tells the village men about meeting this man that she thinks may be the Messiah. They go out to meet Jesus. He spends two days in that city reaching these Samaritans. So clearly we see in the Bible that God is about reaching all people and not just uh, uh, the few. 
So there's a lot of this, uh, a lot of hostility between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, and and God inspires the author Luke of the of the Gospel of Luke to make sure that he tells us that the guy, the one of the ten that came back and told Jesus thank you, was a Samaritan. Now, how does Jesus respond to this man's gratitude? Um, verse seventeen. So Jesus answered and said. Were not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus, if you'll notice it, he had three questions that he's really saying to his followers, of course, in the presence of this man who just came back to tell him thank you. And the question number one is, were there not ten cleansed? And Jesus is saying, um, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I helped 10 people. Uh, God's cleansing and forgiveness uh, through Christ are wonderful. And I ask you this question, have you been cleansed, not of leprosy, but have you been cleansed from something even more uh, severe and, and long-lasting, and that is sin itself? Have you been washed? Uh, have your sins been washed away in the blood of the Lamb? Let me give you some verses. John 1 and verse 29, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, here's what John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to cleanse you of your sin. And sin is more incurable than leprosy. You know, today we found some drugs and etc. that can at least keep uh, leprosy in check. Whereas the reality is you or I cannot handle sin. Sin destroys us and it's going to drag us into hell. And Jesus came to cleanse us from that. Have you been cleansed of your sin? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that would be sexually immoral people, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not very comforting to me. And the reason why is because, well, you may say, well, I'm not an idolater. Really? An idolater is someone that puts anything ahead of God. Remember, no other gods before me. No graven image. So, have you put anything ahead of God? Do you love your wife or your children more than you love God? Do you make choices? Uh, you do make choices based upon your love or lack of love for the Lord. Can you say before God, honestly, I have no Sins that I've committed where I put others ahead of you, or other things even ahead of you, or other entertainments ahead of you. Then we talk about the sexually immoral, which would include uh, the uh, people sex before marriage, adulterers, is, is married people uh, being disloyal to their marriage vows. We have uh, homosexuals, uh, sodomites, we have thieves, we have covetous. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think every one of us fits this list somewhere. So it's not that we can be uh, uh, assured of going to heaven because we're, we've earned it. That's not the point of this at all. He's saying, look, unrighteous people don't go to heaven. And the reality is we're unrighteous people. So where's our hope? Listen to verse 11, though. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, 
but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying, Jesus Christ and his death on the cross has washed away your sin. If you repent of your sin and turn to God and turn to Christ for salvation, he will forgive and save you. And Paul is saying that's what's happened to some of you. What a blessing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1, 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So just like the Samaritan was cleansed of his leprosy, really what what I'd like to ask you is, have you been cleansed? Now Jesus is looking around and he's thinking, I, I, I cleansed 10 people here. And then he asks a second question, where are the nine? <laughs> I see one coming back to say thank you. Where are the nine? So if you have found God's grace and forgiveness and cleansing through Christ, have you gone back and told God, thank you? You know, many people don't, unfortunately. Many people just kind of take their forgiveness for granted. Like, of course, you know, God's supposed to forgive me, supposed to be good to me. And and then they think that I want to just live life for myself. Uh, You know, I want salvation. That's all I want. Well, that's kind of how the nine were, isn't it? They took their cleansing and they kept moving. Psalm chapter 34, or Psalm 34, in verse 1 to 3 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So what's, what's David saying? He's saying, God's been so good to me. I have to exalt him. I have to praise him. I've got to do this every day. I've got to be thankful to God because he's been so good to me. Listen to verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I'll tell you the greatest fear that you or I should ever have, and that is to God's eternal judgment in hell. We should fear that, and rightly so. And what David is saying, God's delivered me from all my fears, and if you have accepted Christ and been cleansed of your sin, you can you you should be delivered from the fear of ever going into God's condemnation into hell. Isn't that a great thing? We've been cleansed from our sin. We if you've accepted Christ, you've been forgiven, and boy should we ever be thankful to God. Psalm 116, verses 12 to 14, asks a pretty interesting question. It says this, What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? That's a really good question in verse 12. What should I do? How can I give something back to God because he's been so good to me? Here's verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. So David is saying, you know what? God's been so good to me. I'm going to grab this deliverance that God has given me. And by the way, if you haven't accepted Christ as Savior, you can definitely look at that and say, I need to take the cup of salvation. I need to take the and, and, and thank God for sending his son to die in my place that I could be forgiven. I need to take that salvation, grab onto it, rejoice in it. 
Call upon the name of the Lord. And then he says, I need to pay my vows. The idea is this. If I've made some promises to God out of gratitude, I need to keep those things. I need to follow through. Because God's been so, so good to me. I read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about all those people that are not going to heaven. Um, and how Paul is saying, but, but you have been washed and you've been cleansed and you've been forgiven. Well, here's what he says at the end of that same chapter, verse, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You've been bought by the price of the blood of Christ. And therefore, give God everything you got. Serve him with your whole heart because of how good God has been to you. So Jesus says, hey, didn't, didn't I cleanse ten? And then he says, where are the nine? Where are these other nine that I cleansed? And then he asks a third question, were there, were there not found any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? None of the my own people could come back and tell me thank you? Well, thankfully, it's not how it will be in heaven, isn't it? When we get to heaven, those of us who have accepted Christ, there will be unhindered and eternal worship of God for how good he has been to us. And in Revelation chapter 5, there's a, a very um, uh, a beautiful scene of worship in heaven. It starts at, uh, I'll start it at verse 9, and uh, I'll, I'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 14. It says, and they sang a new song. This is, again, a, a scene from heaven. They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne, that would be God, and to the Lamb, that would be Jesus, forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Oh, that men would praise the Lord and give glory to him for his wonderful works that he has done. Now, Jesus asked those three questions. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And then were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus has a couple words for his new Samaritan follower, this man who came back to say thank you. He said to him in verse 19, Arise, go your way. That's the first one. Arise, go your way. So the Samaritan now has a new life to live. And Jesus is saying, go out and, and, and get it. Go out and serve me. Arise, go your way. So he's going to go. He's going he's to be able to get back into society, 
but with a whole new outlook, an understanding that God himself has intervened in his life to give him the ability to to uh, uh, live a healthy life. And beyond that, I, I, I'm confident this man will see him in heaven because he understands who the Savior really is. And then Jesus said something else to him. Your faith has made you well. Faith in Christ was the key to his deliverance. Can you see the man possibly with tears in his eyes, getting up and walking away to pursue his new life? What a blessing this guy got from uh, just calling out and trusting God for compassion and being willing to follow the simple instruction, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, what do we conclude from this? Well, first of all, all 10 of the lepers demonstrated faith, didn't they? Their faith produced zeal. They, that's why they're yelling to the Lord so much. These men are trying to get his attention because these men believe that Christ could and would heal them if they could just get their case before him. So they're yelling out, asking for help, not daring to come too close because of their disease. But they're yelling out and asking him to help them. And of course, their faith was rewarded. We also have to look at this and say, well, nine of the ten healed lepers demonstrated neither thankfulness nor love. Now, they made no effort to say thank you, and they gave no expression of love. You know, really, in 1 John 4.19 tells us we love him because he first loved, loved us. And it ought to be that way, that when we are blessed by God, we ought to be turning around and asking that question, what could I do for him? One particular man, his name is Charles L. Brown. I think it's Charlie Brown. But anyway, that's what his name is, Charles L. Brown. He wrote um, a little imaginary idea, but why did only one leper return to Jesus? And I thought his thoughts are kind of interesting. Here's nine of suggestions as to why the nine lepers did not, ret- that did not return, did not come back and, and thank Christ. He says, one waited to see if the cure was real. One waited to see if it would last. One said he would see Jesus later. One decided that he, had, uh, he never had leprosy. One said he would have gotten well anyway. One gave glory to the priests. One said, oh well, Jesus really didn't do anything. One said any rabbi could have done it. One said, I was already much improved. Now again, that's just a guy's idea, but you can, you can get the point that God can step in and help us. Let's say that you uh, have a very serious illness and you are praying fervently and asking God. Maybe, maybe it's a, a grandchild of yours or a, or a nephew or niece or someone or a brother or sister. And you prayed and you asked God fervently, Lord, please deliver this person. And God in his goodness, maybe it was a surgery that was necessary, some kind of an emergency surgery or some kind of medication. And, and, all of a sudden, the case turns around and your loved one is going to live. Your, uh, the life has been spared. And sometimes, unfortunately, we do like oh, this guy was expressing with the lepers, and that is we, oh, what a surgeon we had. And by the way, should the surgeon be thanked? Absolutely. And, or, boy, that medication did the trick. And should we be grateful for the guy that developed that medication and the people that worked to get that medication to the hospital in time? Oh, absolutely, we should be thanking those people. But did we forget to thank the God who answered our prayer? Did we really excuse away what God did to help us? 
So we see only one of the ten lepers expressed his thankfulness to Jesus. Um, are you, uh, uh, the, the, you know, uh, the sad part about that is the greatest motivation for godly character and godly service toward the Lord and toward the people around you, the greatest motivations, I believe, are love and thankfulness. And so if we don't turn around and tell God thank you when he's good to us, we miss out an opportunity really to grow in our own lives closer to him. So how do we apply this? Well, first of all, you and I have more reasons to thank God and to love God than the leper did, than the leper that came back did. You say, well, how is that? Because we've not merely been cleansed from leprosy, but cleansed from sin. If you are truly a child of God and you've truly been forgiven, you've been forgiven not just a physical ailment, but you've been forgiven the greatest and and most devious disease and it's a spiritual one that infects all of humanity, and that is you've been cleansed of your sins, sins against God, sins against others. And also, not, you've not merely been delivered from separation from family and friends like this leper was, but you've been saved from eternal separation from God and everyone else in hell. That's what salvation really is. It's God delivering me from all of sin's consequences for eternity. And may I say to you, again, if you've not been born again yet, if you've not become part of God's family, maybe you thought, well, I don't really need it. Well, again, those 10 lepers could have said the same thing. Well, I don't, you know, we'll be okay. You know, I've been getting better. My scabs are starting to heal over. Um, Maybe I can go back uh, pretty soon. I don't need to go out of my way. Uh, No, no, these guys realize, no, I have a need. And Jesus can meet it. And and let me just uh, beg you as earnestly as I can, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior yet, you need to understand that you need his forgiveness because God is a holy God and you will not get into God's heaven without accepting Christ as your Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So you and I have more reason, if we've been born again, We have more reason to love God and to be thankful to him than the leper did. Uh, A second thing we'd have to say is that um, the nine who took God's grace and cleansing and forgot to say thank you um, are really an example of how we do not want to live. I mean, we would expect if I hand over the uh, ketchup to my son when he's eight years old, you know, he says, dad, please pass the ketchup. And again, don't we ask him to say, please? We always did. No, what are you missing? Please. Could you please pass the ketchup? Okay, we pass him the ketchup. And what do we expect him to say? Thank you. And yet how many times does God do things for us? Huge things. Stepping into our lives, helping us. And then we Almost immediately after receiving that blessing, instead of saying thank you and really meaning it, we turn our back and think, well, that was just, that was lucky. Wow, wasn't that a tremendous thing the way it worked out? And, and forget all about being thankful to the God who worked those issues out. Are you like the one man um, who could not thank Jesus enough for helping him? Or are you like the nine? that have walked away many, many times and, and basically taken God's goodness and not said thank you at all about it. Warren Wiersbe tells the story. He's a, uh, a godly man of, of uh, days gone by. 
he talked about a, a, a ministerial student in Evanston, Illinois, and I think he went to Northwestern. Now, this is back in 1860 when um, he could be a ministerial student there. And um, in Evanston, uh, there's, they're right on the, the shore of Lake Michigan. Matter of fact, I talked, I gave this illustration one time at a, at a funeral. And the funeral director had gone to Northwestern, and he said he could picture that in his mind, what was described here. But this man, his name was uh, Edward Spencer. He had, um, he was quite athletic man from what I understand. And there was a shipwreck right off of the shore there in Lake Michigan near, near the school. And Ed Edward Spencer waded again and again into the frigid waters until he rescued 17 passengers from that ship. In the process, Spencer's health was permanently damaged. Now, he died some years later, and at his funeral, it was noted that not one of the people he rescued ever thanked him. Isn't that sad? Not one. At least Jesus got one to come back of the ten and say thank you. Edward Spencer got none of the seventeen, and, and Spencer's health was ruined. Now, we look at Christ and we say, well, he laid down his life for us. He died on the cross for our sins, endured our hell for us. But um, again, not one of those guys, not one of those people that he rescued ever came back and said thank you. On the other hand, Irma Bombeck, many of you remember her, uh, she wrote uh, a number of years ago, every time I forget to feel grateful, what she's talking about is being a cancer survivor herself. She said, I hear the voice of an eight-year-old named Christina who had cancer of the nervous system. When asked what she wanted for her birthday, she thought long and hard. And finally, she said, I don't know. I have two sticker books and a cabbage patch doll. I have everything. And uh, Irma went on to say, she was right. You know, God has been good to us. He really has. Sending his son to lay down his life for our sins. And so we ought not only to say thank you. And again, we just celebrated Thanksgiving uh, this past Thursday. We ought not only to say thank you to God for what he's done. But what we ought to be saying is, Lord, what can I render back to you for all your benefits towards me? That was Psalm 116 and verse 12. What can I give back? How can I serve you? You've been so good to me. What can I do to be a blessing to you and to, and to other people around me because of how great you have treated me in saving my soul from sin? Because, you know, since God has rescued you from sin, if that's taken place, and eternal hell... At the, cross, at the cost of Christ's blood. He deserves your love and thankfulness, not just now, but throughout all eternity. And if you say, well, you know what? I really, I really don't think a lot to, to thank God. You know, I, I haven't given that a lot of, of um, consideration in my life. Then I have to ask you, do you really know him then? Do you really understand forgiveness? Can I also say that if you have a hard time forgiving other people, if you hold grudges really easily, you again have to ask yourself, do you really understand what it's like to be forgiven by God? Because when you're forgiven by God, you, you learn that I need to forgive people around me because God's been so good to me. How, who am I to hold grudges against other people when I've been forgiven for so much? Uh, I'd really ask you to consider, do you know the Lord? Do you really understand his forgiveness?
And if so, may you be like that one guy that comes back. Oh, yeah, nine, nine people took the cleansing and kind of moved on. Let's be like the one that comes back and praises God, thanks God, and just uh, rejoices in how good God has been to us. Let's pray. Father, I pray for any who uh, may be listening. And the truth is, they've never accepted Christ as Savior. So they don't really understand why they need to be thankful to you. They don't understand forgiveness. Lord, you've told us that sin is serious. It's destroying our lives and destroying our souls and the souls of people around us. And so I pray for any who do not understand your forgiveness, they would come to know you and to realize that you sent your son specifically to save uh, us from our sins, and that would include them. This individual that's listening, if only he or she will turn to you in repentance and faith, very similar to what the lepers did when they cried out to Jesus for mercy. Oh, Lord, we pray that there will be some who will cry out to you for mercy today, asking for your forgiveness for their sins and finding your cleansing. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have received that cleansing. May we not be like the nine that just kind of went on and, and thought, well, great, I can live life for myself and began to plan all the things that they may want to do and, and forgot all about the one who gave them that new lease on life. Oh, Lord, help us to be like the one man that comes back and just praises you and, and holds you by the feet and thanks you for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for you bless these thoughts to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. Like the ten lepers, do you have a major need in your life? If so, have you called on Jesus to help you? Christ is still merciful and willing to help, but the question you must answer is whether you will have enough faith and humility to ask him sincerely for his help. Though it certainly is true that God is neither a genie who comes to our aid at our whim, nor a Santa Claus who seems to exist to give us whatever we want, it's also true that our Lord is compassionate to those who seek him in spirit and in truth. The Bible often shows that God uses tough circumstances to call us to his side and to show us our need for him. When viewed from this perspective, it becomes a apparent that God may be allowing you to experience trouble in order to give you far greater blessings throughout all eternity. Here's a verse that may give you some encouragement. It's found in James 4, 6, which says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Further, let me ask you a tough question. Has God helped you in the past, but you, like nine of the ten lepers in this biblical account, took your blessing and simply walked away? Maybe you prayed about a health need for yourself or a loved one. The situation looked grave and God heard your prayer. Did you, like the nine lepers in the story, quick forget the one who showed you mercy? Almost unperceptively, did you give all the credit to the helpful doctor, your natural medicine routine, or something else other than the God whom you cried out for help? So if this describes you, what should you do now? You could start by recognizing yourself as one of the nine lepers who took Christ's blessing and simply moved on without saying thank you. You could apologize to God for your ingratitude in the past and determine to give him glory in the future whenever God answers your prayer. You might also want to check to make sure that you know God personally, for an unbeliever often struggles with an unthankful spirit. If you would like some spiritual help like counseling or prayer, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you'd like to listen to this message again, the link to our podcast is at RadioBold.com slash CalkinsBaptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>